Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Okay, today's episode is part two of the interview with Rand Fishkin. Rand is the co-founder of Moz, a Seattle-based SaaS company that sells inbound marketing and marketing analytics software. The company was founded in 2004 as a consulting firm and shifted to software development in 2008. The Moz website has an online community of more than a million digital marketers, and to date, the company has raised just under $20 million in funding. In this episode, Rand talks about inbound marketing, some of the common mistakes that startups make, and what he'd do differently if he was launching a new company today. So with that, let's get back to the interview. All right, let's talk about inbound marketing and... um, you know, hopefully what lessons that we can learn from, from your experiences. Um, just for folks who aren't familiar, can you just take a second and just explain how you define inbound marketing? Yeah, for me, inbound marketing is simply a uh, phrase that I, I guess collects all of the channels, tactics, uh, processes that you use to drive non-paid Uh, earned media traffic to a website, right? So this is everything from, um, and through a funnel. So everything from uh, email marketing, which, you know, can be a a wholly earned channel, assuming you're not kind of buying lists, uh, to organic search, the the non-paid side of search results, uh, social media, uh, content creation and marketing, community building, uh, conversion rate optimization, and a whole host of others. And essentially, these tactics and channels work best when they're combined with one another. You sort of get that one plus one equals three effect um, when you combine these. And that, that's just because there's a very um, beautiful flywheel that a lot of people have built with inbound marketing. And that flywheel functions uh fairly logically, right? So I I produce some piece of content and that content could be my actual product or, um, you know, my Kickstarter page or my, uh, you know, my beginner's guide to SEO or a new blog post or whatever it is. And that, that piece of content is on my website. I promote it through uh, social media, through email outreach, through my contacts and my network. Uh, They help amplify it. That means that it earns hopefully some links and some other kinds of ranking signals for Google. And uh, it also earns me brand awareness and attention and interest. Uh, And then the next time, uh, well, and and then that piece of content, now that it has those ranking signals, has the ability to rank in search engines, which sends kind of an ongoing long tail of, of search traffic. And if I keep doing this process, over and over again, I slowly over time build up my social network. I build up my brand. I build up my ability to rank for content, right? My domain gains authority. And that means every piece of content that I put out there has a little better chance to rank well. Uh, and so you, you build a flywheel. It's very hard to get those first, you know, few dozen turns of the flywheel going. But after a while, it's a really smooth process. You know, suddenly you can hit publish uh, you can, you know, share on your social channels and sit back and kind of watch all the good stuff roll in. And that, um, you know, that's a very exciting 
opportunity. It's particularly exciting for entrepreneurs, I think, in the software field because cost of customer acquisition is such a big challenge. Um, you know, if you're if you're spending five hundred dollars to acquire a new customer and their lifetime value on average is two thousand dollars, you know, that's that's twenty five percent of the lifetime value of the customer that you spent just to acquire them. Never mind whatever your margins are on serving them um, and providing that software, and then your overhead for you know, paying your engineers and that kind of stuff. At Moz, um, because we've built such a great flywheel with with inbound, uh, our cost to acquire a customer, I think right now is about $101. Um, and the average customer is spending about $109 with us per month. So we basically have a customer payback period of less than one month. Wow. Which means, you know, that our growth engine especially for our, for our first, you know, six years was just, um, just easy. We never even paid until I think 2010 was when we hired our first, uh, paid media marketer. And before that, we'd never spent a dime to acquire a customer. So let's say you, let's go a hypothetical situation. You're, you're starting Moz, um, in 2015. It's a new company. Um, how would you go about in 2015 tackling inbound marketing? Um, I presume the first thing would be, as you've said, is around content marketing and starting to blog. You know, I think if I were going to do it again today, because the field has become much more saturated um, and there's just a, you know, a ton of competition, specifically in our sector, there's so many people producing uh, content specifically, you know, blog posts and guides and, and that kind of stuff. I think I would go one of two routes. I'd probably go either we build lots of um, free tools, free kind of interactive tools to, to help people and then kind of upsell you from there. Or I think I would go with a very visually focused um, blog or, or content system. I think, you know, the kinds of stuff where you could uh, crop all the visuals we make and put them on Instagram or Pinterest and they would do really, really well or Facebook. Um, because I think that that kind of old school blog content, which we still do a lot of, and I think because we're leaders in the field already, it works great for us. But I think it would be tough to start out new and try and compete. And so, you know, I think that's a piece of advice that I'd give for, for any entrepreneur in any field is if you see that your field is already saturated uh, you know, in the content world with type of content X, don't just try and copy everyone else and do type of content X. You'd probably have a much better shot if you build something unique and different. So you had a great uh, Whiteboard Friday video talking about unique content. Um, I'll, I'll include that in the show notes because I think there's some really valuable information in there for folks. But one of the websites that you gave us an example I'd never heard of, um, waitbutwhy.com. <laughs> and That's I, great. I, I just love that site. Oh, man. Um, th there's a great post there about procrastinators and, um, and what to do about it. And that's definitely me. Um, but what I loved about it in, in addition to all the great information there was those really kind of, you know, amateurish pictures that they'd included in there with, um, 
you know, what, what's going on inside your brain. And there's this little monkey that's basically, um, you know, pulling you away from doing the things that you really want to do. And yeah, sure. I think I could probably find tons of great, uh, blog posts out there telling me about how I can stop procrastinating. But I think it was those visuals, just like you said, that I think really stuck in my mind. Absolutely. And, and they can spread like wildfire, right? People put them in their presentations and reference back to it. They, they post them on social networks and, you know, visuals are really likely to get a lot more amplification on those. And so I think there's, um, yeah, there's, there's true power in that stuff. What's interesting about Wait But Why, they do something that um, I also love to do, which is make graphics that are amateur but authentic, right? So there's kind of a, like, there's a difference between amateur graphics that are stock images or crappy Photoshopping and, and amateur images that are, well, this person can't really draw, but the stick figures have kind of an authentic quality to them. Um, XKCD being the prime example in, in the technology field, right? That people just love those little stick figures with world, word bubbles. Um, yeah. and, and they really resonate. So I think there's, there's something powerful about authentically amateur uh, visuals. Okay, so you're starting out Moz again. So you're going to either focus on some kind of free tools or a visually focused blog. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about SEO. Um, what would you do differently with SEO in in 2015? Um, I think there's a. The strategy we've been following at Moz for the last six or seven years is actually kind of where Google has gotten to today. Um, I I thought it, I always thought you know even in two thousand four I thought that form of search of, of SEO was only a year or two away and it, it ended up taking probably more like five or ten. Uh, but they they've been directionally going this path for a long time and that is to be able to include more so than just raw links and, you know, the number of unique linking root domains that point to you and the diversity of those, those things are still important. And it's still somewhat important that you use the right keywords and phrases. Um, But Google is getting much more sophisticated about their natural language processing and about uh, being intent driven with the results that they return, essentially saying, what did this person mean when they entered this query? What, what is the answer they're looking for? What is the question they're asking? This serves up the, this page serves up the best results, not necessarily this page keyword matches the keywords they entered the best. Um, there's still a little bit of that, and that's still an SEO best practice. I think it probably will be for a long time. If you enter some words, you actually want to see that the person, you know, the title tag of the page that you're clicking on has those words in it because that tells you as a searcher that it's relevant too. But um, for those reasons, I think I would, uh, I would begin by saying, what are the you know, 50 to 100 phrases that when someone searches for them, we really want to come up? We want to be you know, in those top three spots for these phrases. And then I would say, okay, now which among those could we produce something that no one else has produced, provide really unique value that no one else produced, has uh, given? And uh, as a result, earn a lot of traction and attention 
to that piece. Because if you, if you can't answer all three of those, I don't think you can have success, especially as a new website. It's just really tough to break out of there. I'd probably also, in addition to that more you know, hardcore SEO process that's, that's keyword and rankings driven, I'd probably also try and do some content marketing that is designed purely to earn me uh, links and ranking signals and attention. So the kinds of things that are going to get... Um, it's not clickbait because clickbait is not good enough. Clickbait is very transient, right? I, I don't think anyone cares whether they go to Yahoo News or to BuzzFeed or to Upworthy for, you know, the latest piece of clickbait. But I think there are ways that you can build brand with, um, you know, what I'd call sort of maybe like brand defining content. And I would try and come up with, with some of those brand defining pieces of content that I feel like people would refer to over and over again. So at Moz, a few of those today are things like, you know, our beginner's guide to SEO, to link building, to social. Um, our industry survey every two years is very popular. Our ranking factors every two years is very popular. We sort of alternate those year to year. Um, we've had a number of quizzes over the years that have been really popular. We just launched a local SEO quiz that was really popular. So I think those kinds of brand defining pieces are something I do too. Would you blog a lot less frequently than you were doing in the early days of Moz? I mean, would you focus just on blog less frequently, but create uh, bigger and more higher value, unique content? I think, I think I, if I had the staff to do it, I would probably myself personally try and blog every night. Um, and, but I would do that visual blogging thing, right? That XKCD or the wait, but why kind of style. Um, you know, I try and learn how to, how to actually make some, some visuals. And the reason that I would do that is because it would take me a year or two, but a year or two in, I bet I'd be really good at it. Like I bet I could, I could start being able to crank out a piece of visual content that would really sail across the web um, after a couple of years of, of trying three or four nights a week. Um, and that, that practice makes perfect is why I invested in it. Not necessarily because I thought that was going to have a huge content marketing or SEO or social like smash success from day one. Okay. Let's, uh, move on to social media. So how would you use social media in 2015 with the all new Moz company? Um, so we talked about the visuals thing, but you know, I'll, I'll mention that again. I think that's a, a great way to go. Another thing I think I would do is I would, I think I would probably try and build up uh, or be intentional about what my social accounts were producing rather than just, um, so I think for, for example, today, Moz's social accounts primarily promote Moz stuff, right? Like Moz events, they promote, um, content that we produced, uh, they keep in touch with our customers and provide some, some forms of customer service and support over, uh, over social media. I, I might still do some of that, but I would also, uh, I'm not exactly sure, you know, I might, I might have the, you know, um, Moz, this is a silly example maybe, but um, I might do like the Moz graph of the morning and graph of the afternoon. And, you know, I, I stay subscribed to a lot of places like eMarketer and um, marketingcharts.com and, uh, 
you know, all, all of the um, stuff that like Andreessen Horowitz puts out about the, the tech sector. And, um, you know, I just have a, a uh, what is it? Comscore puts stuff out. Nielsen puts stuff out. Um, Pew Internet and American Life Project puts stuff out. And I think I would aggregate all that stuff and say, okay, what's interesting to my audience? I'm going to have two graphs every day that we share. And so, you know, if you subscribe to, you know, Moz's Twitter channel every morning, every afternoon, there'll be a graph of the morning, graph of the afternoon. You know, that I'm not sure that would be the one, but I'd have something like that, um, that I, that I came to be associated with our channel. And I think promoting other people's content is something I would invest heavily in over social because, when you promote the work of others, they come to know and respect you and they want to promote you as well. So there's like a beautiful um, reciprocity that happens. What's a, a common mistake that you see many companies making with social media these days? Um I think a lot of them are really boring. <laughs> people, people are just, you know. They share on social media thinking, not, not being empathetic, right? Not thinking everyone out there is subscribed to, you know, somewhere between 100 and 1,000 people on Twitter, or they're following, you know, 50 fan pages on Facebook, or they're, um, uh, you know, they follow 20 companies on LinkedIn, but then they see, you know, 500 things from their contacts every day. Why would they give two craps about what I am producing? And I think a lot of them don't, they think that people who subscribe to them are special and unique and like, well, if they click subscribe, they must love us. They must want to see everything we ever do. I, I, I don't think that's the case. So I, I think the biggest mistake that folks make on social media is not having empathy um, and not figuring out how to be signal rather than noise to their audience. That's great advice. Okay, Ryan, it's now time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I'd like you to no answer them. No special as... like crackling effects in the background. Can you add that in post-production? Like... <laughs> <laughs> All right, are you ready? Ready. Okay, what's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? Um, I think it was from Dharmesh Shah. And uh, he's given me a bunch of really good pieces of advice, but uh, several of the best. He told us not to, um, well, to use a, a different uh, payment platform provider than, than what we used in uh, 2009 or 10. I think we went with Infusionsoft and he said we should have gone with Salesforce and we should have. Uh, he told us, he also told us that uh, we shouldn't try and raise money in 2009 because it was just a really bad time. It's right after the market crash. And he was totally right about that. I think I wasted six months, maybe nine months, uh, trying to fundraise and it didn't work. <laughs> so he's been a great source of information over the years. If only I paid attention to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Uh, I really like a book called The Billionaire Who Wasn't. Um, it's about Chuck Feeney, who started the um, duty-free series of stores. You know, you see him in airports all over the world now. Uh, and you know, made billions and billions of dollars and then ended up giving it all away. Um, and it's pretty, it's a fascinating read um, from every perspective, from an entrepreneurial angle, from a philanthropy angle, from a human being angle. I really liked it. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? 
Um, I'm going to come back to kindness. I think that I think that entrepreneurs who are kind are far more successful than the ones who sold their company for more dollars. Um, and I think, yeah, hopefully history and humanity will remember that in time. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Uh, it's actually email. I know that's going to sound crazy because everyone's talking about how email is so unproductive these days, but uh, I love having every single thing in my life come through email. If it's not in my email or not on my calendar, it doesn't exist. And that means that, you know, everything from um, messages that I receive via Facebook, I completely ignore them. I, I have never checked my Facebook messages, haven't checked LinkedIn, but all my profiles have my email address in there and they say to email me um, my voice message. If you, if you call my phone, it will say, don't leave a message, email me because I'll never check these messages. Uh, and having everything go through that one channel means that I can be very focused. And I know that when my you know, inbox is clean and my calendar is open, I have time to work. And when there's stuff to address, there's stuff to address. Um, that's been, it's, it's been sort of a superpower for me. I think one of the things is I'm, I'm very fast on email and I like it a lot. So if you had to start over tomorrow, um, what type of business would you go and build? Um, I think I, I'm addicted at this point to, uh, software subscription businesses, software, because I actually know the, the challenges, I think starting over a new type of business, like hardware or e-commerce or retail or something like that, uh, food service. Like I just, I just don't know those worlds. I'd have to learn all the challenges again. I'd rather, um, <laughs> have you ever played a video game and then, you know, you play it like halfway through and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to start over with like an entirely new character because if I do, I bet I can kick this game's ass because I know all the, <laughs> you know, all the hard spots and, and where to look around the corner to the left and there's a bad guy. Um, and I feel like that with, uh, with software subscription. So I think that's, I, I would stick with this business. I think my second character could be even better. <laughs> well, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Most people don't know. Um, I don't know if it's interesting, but maybe fun. My first name is actually not Rand. Um, my first name is, well, I don't know what it is. There's on my birth certificate, there's an S before Rand. So it's like S space Rand space Mitchell, my middle name space Fishkin. So there's like an S sitting in the front of my name. Um, and occasionally if, you know, if someone sees me like sign a document, they're like, wait, what's that? <laughs> uh, I don't know where it came from, but well, actually, I, I do know where it came from, but um, yeah, well, it is not a lightning round where it came from. <laughs> right. And finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Um, definitely my marriage. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm crazy about Geraldine. I think if you read her blog, you can see why anyone would be crazy about her. Um, yep, that's me. Great answers. Okay. Uh, Rand, I want to thank you for joining me today and sharing your experiences and insights with our audience. And thank you for letting us get to know you better personally as well. Now, if folks want to find out more about Moz, they can go to moz.com. And if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? 
Uh, well, if you want to see the stuff that I'm sharing online, um, most of my sharing is done over Twitter. So that's at uh, Randfish. Uh, I also run a personal blog on Moz's website. That's at moz.com slash Rand. And then if you want to get in touch for any reason, my email address is Rand at moz.com. Awesome. Rand, thanks again. And it's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure, Omar. Thanks for having me. Cheers.